0: Welcome to Unfurling, a podcast that explores the power of the natural world to inform and inspire. I'm Elizabeth. And I'm Katrina. And this episode um, is all about health. Just that is a huge topic. (laughs) Um, And when we were chatting about this beforehand, we realized there were a thousand different ways we could have Mm. taken this. So we're actually going to kind of resist the urge to create too much of a structure we're going to resist the urge to go down all of those thousand routes and we're just going to see what comes up knowing that we come to this topic from our own individual experience and we'll have some things to share there and also knowing how important our collective health is and the health of the planet so if anything this episode the structure is really going to be about uh, individual health and well-being and also collective and planetary even health and well-being. Kat, I know you had a few other thoughts on Mm. just a kind of gentle extension of that structure. Do you want to just share those?
1: Yeah, for me, it's, um, yeah, I love the individual and the collective. And then it's also thinking about, you know, what can we learn um, from the natural world in terms of our health and how can we benefit from it? And yet to me, there's a, a kind of separation between us and the natural world that's implied for that kind of seeing nature as as a resource so for Mm -hmm. me it's also considering how we can get into a better relationship of reciprocity so that we are also Mm -hmm. helping the natural world with its health knowing also that the natural world is capable of healing itself in many ways so I think for me it's just kind of thinking about that reciprocity as well. We're also conscious that this topic is very much in the news, it's in magazine articles, it's in documentaries, you know, how important uh, the power of the natural world is in terms of our own health and healing. And yet, whilst it can feel quite on vogue, an actual fact, I think Vogue did do an article, um, didn't they, recently, it was on the front cover about nature. Mm. Um, You sent me a copy of that, Elizabeth, Mm. recently. You know, it's something that humans have been aware of for for many thousands of years and and I've got a quote here from Hippocrates who lived um, between 460 BC and 370 BC um, that says nature itself is the best physician mm. so even then this thinking was around so um, it'd be fun to kind of explore what the new thinking is and where we can learn from more ancient um, more indigenous thinking as well.
0: Mm. that quote that you just shared also reminds me um of a quote I came across recently um a much more modern quote from the poet T.S. Eliot and he said that mm. the whole world is our hospital mm. um and I think it, it feels true and I know the word hospital like we've talked about before the world the word hospital can have kind of immediate connotations of, of bad health and, and stress and so on but just that idea of you know, if we imagine the world as our hospital or as our physician picking up on your quote, what does that mean? How are we how are we uh paying attention to what we're being prescribed and, and so on by the world? So I'm sure we'll delve into that. I'm kind of keen to get to dictionary corner.
1: Oh yeah? Oh good. Okay.
0: <laughs> so um yeah, I mean, because because actually the word... Well, should we do Dictionary Corner and then explore that? Because actually sure. some of the, the, the work that I do um, has made me think a bit differently about the definition of health. So mm. perhaps we can start there and see what unfurls after okay. that.
1: Okay, well, I actually um, have two different offerings on this front today. Mm. Um, so my trusty Cambridge Dictionary. Um, it's quite interesting because the initial um, definition they give for health is the condition of the body and the degree to which it is free from illness or the state of being well. Later in a different version of the Cambridge Dictionary, it includes the mind as well. So it's the condition of the body or mind and the degree to which it is free from illness or the state of being well. And so I enjoyed seeing that you know addition of the mind, and it made me think back to a short course that I did in eco-psychology and nature-based practice earlier this year with a great organization in the UK called the Natural Academy. And they talk about health and well-being in the following way. They say well-being is a personal state and experience related to holistic health outcomes. These holistic outcomes are the sum of our psychological emotional, physical, social, ecological, and spiritual health. So with that, there's six kind of different um, lenses and ways we can experience different degrees of health. Mm. And I, I think that the fact they've included ecological health as one of those just feels really important and you know, reminds us about the importance of having a healthy connection to nature in terms of our individual health. I'd be curious, though, to hear about what comes up for you. You mentioned you have a perhaps different way of thinking about health now.
0: Yeah, well, I I mean, I'd agree with everything you say. And I think that uh, thinking more broadly and and picking up on the ecological, I think, is really important. And and actually, that reminds me of a a couple of things which I wanted to just touch on. One is the World Health Organization definition of health. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is uh, a state of complete physical, mental and social well-being and not merely the absence of disease or infirmity. Mm. Um, and when you talked earlier about that—that that health definition as being free from illness—it reminded me of that WHO definition. Mm. That it's not just not having disease; it's it's being actively well, physically, mentally, and socially. Mm. Um, and I mean, I guess we would extend that to also talk about, you know, ecologically as well. And I think the world. Um, is waking up to that more because if we don't have a healthy planet we don't have a healthy you know inhabitants of the planet whether that's animals or humans Mm. Um, it also reminds me of so some of the work I do is for a small charity called Aruka Network A-R-U-K-A-H and the word Aruka is actually a Hebrew word and it means um, in a nutshell kind of complete wholeness restoration and well-being Mm. And we intentionally renamed ourselves that to pick up on that idea of, you know, it isn't just about being physically well, um, mm-hmm. because you can be physically well. And yet also still not have, for example, access to good governance or access to good mm-hmm. education or so many other things that, that we think are needed for that complete well-being and complete um, health and wholeness. So we actively called ourselves that to to pick up on that and in fact that reminds me of um and I think I must have talked about this in an earlier episode but when I first went to university and was studying medicine with the intention obviously to become a doctor when I was doing that I went to Zambia volunteering with some sort of basic health and hygiene skills and I remember vividly teaching these basic health skills and yet having this just awareness that we, we could teach them about HIV and hand washing and whatever it might have been, but they still didn't necessarily have the ability to feed themselves every day. And it kind of, I think for me, that was the first conscious kind of realization that health is far more than just physical, medical health. Mm. Um, so I think that's been really present for me actually for quite some time.
1: Yeah, no, I, I love that. And it's, it's, it actually almost feels, um, like it can link with what's happening all over the world right now with COVID, you mm-hmm. know, because obviously there's, you know, and it's a particularly interesting time, you know, with Donald Trump having just come out of hospital. But for me, obviously, it's really important to have the public health campaign and washing our hands and wearing masks. And 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 we're also already seeing, at least within the UK, the impacts on our health beyond or, or caused by the kind of fallout of COVID. So in terms of, you know, people's jobs and the economics and the stress that is coming from that and not being able to see as many people as we're used to or do as much as we're used to. So Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the reasons we were talking about, you know, why why health is the next episode. It feels like, I mean, quite frankly, I've had a cold for the last two weeks and I I don't really get physically unwell that often, luckily, and I can't seem to shake it. And what's that about? (laughs) Is that just, you know, just a bit of a, an exhaustion after what's been you know I guess six seven months now so yeah we just feel that kind of stress both individually and collectively and just want to perhaps offer some reminders and ways for you thinking to help in in this time as well
0: yeah the stress thing feels really timely and and we were talking about this earlier that we could I mean we we might still touch on well we will touch on mental health and well-being but we were kind of reflecting on actually it feels like there is quite a lot out there on mm. kind of support for mental well-being um, and that's vital because you know mental health is is not good at the moment in fact in my work as a district councillor locally I've been really conscious of this recently and I've been trying to kind of push out you know support numbers and and, and um, things that can help people locally as they struggle with mental health because I read that the the kind of the mental health impact of COVID is going to peak later and probably be far more widely spread than the actual um, pandemic itself. So kind of being aware of what we can do to um, be conscious of that and mitigate and, and step in and help people on that front. And actually, particularly just picking up on Briefly, my own context, which is a fairly, you know, I live in a market town. It's a rural context around and there are a lot of farmers and actually the mental health of the farming community is not good at the moment. Farmers are are one of the groups m- most at risk for suicide. Um, and I just think that's shocking because we don't hear about that really in the media. It's sort of, you know, they're hidden away doing a thing. We so rely on them. It's the food that we eat and yet a lot of them are really struggling. So I've been trying to sort of support and give you know phone numbers and advice lines and so on to, to help people um locally knowing that also a lot of farmers are very lonely it's really yeah you know, isolated work um and I think it's it's a big issue so mental health is a huge topic and we will pick up on it as we continue with this episode but yeah that stress a piece about stress individually and also collectively I'm really interested in what kind of collective stress looks like I keep hearing people talking about that kind of collective exhaustion that we're all feeling at the moment and and particularly at the thought of you know second lockdown and a a long winter ahead yeah actually for me stress is quite an unusual I tend not I tend to express stress in a very particular way and it usually manifests in my body but I've noticed once or twice recently I have expressed it verbally and it doesn't feel like me Mm. and I and I I'm seeing that more widely as well, you know, I just wonder whether our kind of collective stress is just high at the moment. What are the implications of that? are? Yeah.
1: I'm noticing the same both in myself and yeah, just kind of in the community. Um, and, and I guess it's, you know, it's, it's going to be so important that we give ourselves space and time to, to kind of come down from this stress and mm-hmm. how can we do that when we've got other genuine factors at play, you know, people's livelihoods, um, you know, mm. lack of space, particularly in London. Um, so it always feels like we're going to have to really take a stand, you know, individually and collectively for our health here, mm. you know, not just in terms of COVID and, you know, trying to to fight that, but but actually, you know, to really step up for our, our kind of well-being.
0: When, when I think about individual health, just thinking about that for a moment. I've been really encouraged by studies that I've read recently, you yeah, and in the news as well, about the kind of the power that exposure to nature has on our health and well-being. Um, so there are various studies um, that have been done about, you know, when patients are in hospital, giving them a view of a green space, or even just having a photo or a painting on the wall of a natural scene can increase their well-being and i think even their the kind of speed at which they get better and we'll put some links to those studies in the footnotes um, there was another study i read um, from 2016 that showed um people that have high blood pressure can get their hypertension under control if they spend just 30 minutes or more in a park each week so there's that you know there's healing and people that are in hospital and unwell and the benefit of seeing nature can have on them but also just maintaining our health you know things like high blood pressure and so on being outside going for walks and that prevention instead of cure um it's really encouraging i think to see this you know cheap cure this cheap thing that we can do and, and and take in which is the natural world and and so on can have such an impact on our health Um, And in fact, I know that GPs now um, talk about social prescribing. I think that's limited at the moment, but it's increasing in um, reach. And I think that's, you know, my GPs will sort of recommend going out for a walk or going and joining a local club or whatever it might be. Mm. But I just think connecting that sort of the soft side and being in nature and going for walks with actually the kind of hard medical, you know what, go and do this. And I'm telling you to do that. Um, I'm going to tell you to do that actually instead of taking a pill. I think that's really interesting.
1: Yeah, because Elizabeth, it reminds me of actually one of your favourite authors, um, Richard Louvre, um, who wrote Last Child in the Woods. He says that, you know, when he wrote that in 2005, it wasn't a hot topic um, and was virtually ignored by the academic world. And he had about, he could find about 60 good studies on the topic of the importance of nature and our, our health and well-being, And he says now that it's approaching and about to pass a thousand studies um, and they point in one direction, that nature is not only nice to have, but it's a have to have for physical health and cognitive functioning.
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah, and there's a great um, scientific report um, written by uh, Matthew White um, and other colleagues at the University of Exeter called Spending at Least 120 Minutes a Week in Nature is Associated with Good Health and Well-Being. And essentially, um, they studied 20,000 people and found that people who spent two hours a week in green spaces, whether those be local parks or the natural environments, and whether it's either all at once or spaced over several visits, were substantially more likely to report good health and psychological well-being than those who don't. And interestingly, the two hours, it's you know, they can't they can't say for sure, but it looks like it may be a hard boundary in that those who didn't meet that two hour threshold didn't see the benefits. That didn't include time in a garden. So that was literally kind of getting out and about. And that could be to your local park, or it might be, you know, the weekend going a bit further afield.
0: That feels really true it also reminds me of um a practice called forest bathing Mm. which is where um well kind of like it sounds people go out usually into forests and just spend time and you know breathing in the smells of the trees and in doing so inhale lots of good bacteria and good things from the soil which improves our well-being um, and there is increasing evidence that shows the benefits of this and in the UK the Woodland trust have sort of talked about the benefits of forest bathing too and they are sort of actively promoting it um, and recommend that GPS might you know prescribe forest bathing as a as a help to some patients as well so I think it's definitely getting um, support and it's it's got increasing sort of studies and evidence that shows quite why it has the power to counter illnesses including cancers and depression and and stress Um, and I just think that is fascinating Mm. Um, it reminds me too of as you know I'm I'm a reader um, and there was a book published I think it was last year called Out of the Woods by Luke Turner and it was it was I mean it's quite a personal memoir it talks about his relationship with the woods and a particular woods, so it's epping forest and his relationship with that woods and also his own past so it's quite personal he just yeah he he, you know i guess the 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 line from that book is that he thinks a walk in the forest can can help us it can help our soul and heal us oh that was a lovely book Mm. um but yeah it's um it's fascinating it's not quite the same but it also reminds me of um so in devon there have been studies recently um on the uh, impact of cold water while swimming on mental health, physical health, and so on. So that's um, it's a group of swimmers up near Croyd, which is a big um, surfing beach in North Devon. And there are people that swim in it you know, day in, day out, whatever the weather, even when the water is icy cold. And there are suggestions that it can really help people that have had mental health issues, that are going through the menopause, that are stressed, that have inflammatory disease. And they don't quite know why this is, but they are looking, you know, they're they're doing some studies and they're sort of working out quite why that is. But I think that's just really powerful. Woods, ocean, it can um, really help us.
1: Yeah. And even within the city, I know I've got a friend that has for a long time um, been getting up, I think, at six in the morning and going for very cold swims in the Serpentine Lake, um, back in the middle of, of London. So there are opportunities to do this, you know, within cities and towns as well.
0: Mm. Yep. I think that's really important actually, like because I'm conscious that this whole conversation, it can very easily, without intending to, it can be, become very urban versus rural. Mm. And I think, you know, going back to mental health, I think that can be a real problem because the, the challenges of mental health in a city are quite different to the challenges of mental health in a rural context. Mm. And just as the solutions and the encounters with nature, they're in both they in urban and rural. Um so it's not an either or kind of us mm-hmm. and them conversation it's it's about I guess taking the wisdom of these studies and experiences and applying them where we are
1: yeah and it kind of brings I was going to say something earlier but um I got distracted <laughs> um but it's when you were talking about you know the definition of of health mm-hmm. and you know it's not just about the absence of disease um there's something for me about that kind of more of a spectrum approach to this or a continuum which feels quite helpful rather than being like you are either well mm-hmm. or you're not also because you know we're all coming at we're both health with different kind of cultural backgrounds different family backgrounds you know what we consider health you know health to be how mm-hmm. we uh, approach it whether we go to gps and hospitals or whether we look to more traditional or quote alternative approaches to to help our you know health Um, and I'm conscious also with the natural world that some of us you know have grown up in it and I feel quite familiar with it and for others it doesn't hold that that same narrative and Mm. and may have different associations Um, indeed it may have associations of being a place where you can get ill because it's muddy and you know Mm. dirty so I quite like this idea about health being you know just like a continuum and we we come at it from different angles.
0: Yeah or even picking up on our own experiences you talk about perhaps getting ill because of getting muddy it's also for some people it causes great stress actually being outside Mm. or even being in a forest i was listening to someone speak a couple of days ago and she was saying just that woods terrify her and make her feel anxious Mm. um because she feels lost and she didn't know the way out and so Mm. i wonder how we kind of reconcile those things with the studies that show forest bathing is good for us Mm. how how do we which is true. I guess they're both true, but what what do we do with that? Um, And in thinking about a spectrum too, it makes me think back to stress when we think of individuals. Um, And I was reading a summary of a paper recently that talks about that stress actually has quite a bad reputation um, and that there is recent research that shows we should think of it more like a spectrum. So there is the chronic stress Mm. can have a bad effect on our mind and our body and our health. But actually, a bit of short-term stress can enhance immunity and it can enhance mental and physical performance. So this paper sort of talks about the need to harness that fight-flight response so that we can kind of maximise the performance opportunity mm. um, and reduce the, that more negative long-term chronic stress. So I think, yeah, it isn't as black and white as, you know, stress is bad and being not stressed is good. I mean, we've already touched on the kind of collective health and and what that can look like, Um, but just going to that a bit more and and picking up again on farming, actually, which I've already touched on. I read a book recently by an author, a friend of mine called James Rebanks, and he's a farmer, uh, a sheep farmer in the Lake District. And the book is really about, well, it's it's personal, so it talks about his own story, but roughly it sort of looks at what farming used to be, what it has become, Mm -hmm. and what it could yet be and um, it's beautiful and also terrifying so you know traditionally in in olden times farming was small scale it was often subsistence it was you know rotational or mixed so farmers would have quite a diverse they'd have diverse things on their farms of crops and animals and so on they'd rotate fields around so the fields never got kind of overused um, by one particular crop that took nutrients out of the soil in the last few decades and and from the 80s onwards in particular farming has just got really big scale and there are big uh, mega farms more so in the US we're behind the US in terms of the the size of our farms but you know farmers are uh, getting lower prices for their food and to, to make up for that they're having to farm more efficiently farm bigger areas and farm with purely kind of profit in mind and it's taken mm. away that connection to the land and it's you know we're, we're destroying our land I think there was a UN um, paper that came out a couple of years ago that estimates we've got about 60 soil cycles left so this is 60 cycles of crop planting and harvesting left roughly on the planet um, which is terrifying and that's because we've so diminish the topsoil and diminish the ability of the soil to provide nutrients, um, we've exhausted it. So when, we, when I think about collective exhaustion in humans, I also think of collective exhaustion of our land. The book goes on to talk about you know what we could do and how farming is and can become more nature friendly um, and what policies and funding we need also to support that. So it's not hopeless. And yet it's a real lesson in you know, we're not, we, we buy food, but do we think about the implications mm. of that food for the land and nature and therefore for us? And it is something I find really interesting. You know, even just plowing is apparently disastrous for the land, uh, you know, financially and ecologically, because we are taking off that top level where all the good stuff is and the nutrients and the bacteria. So yeah, we are exhausting the soil. So when I think about our collective future, I think, of farming because we're so intricately tied to the land through it. And um, I, yeah, just the health of us and the health of our land, I think, is so linked. And I think it needs a lot more mainstream media coverage mm. than it's getting.
1: And what I love is that you, you're you not just speaking from a, you know, with your government hat on or, you know, reading studies and stuff. But I know you actually go out and, and speak with farmers and, and mm. to understand you know what their lives are like and what is actually going on
0: yeah and I think that's important you know where it's not obviously not just with farming but to really understand something it's who are we listening to and where are we getting our information and sadly I think it has become a conversation that feels like farming versus environmentalism and you are either vegan uh planet loving eco conscious on one end of the scale or you are evil farmer who's wrecking the land on the other hand on the other side of the spectrum and I've realized neither are helpful Mm. and actually if we want to understand the nuance of what's true we need to have conversations we need to listen and it's challenging you know there are lots of farmers who I've met who are very protective of their practices and their land and they don't you know they're nervous about talk of nature for any farming because you know they're broken up as it is and actually at the moment farmers don't really get paid to farm in an environmentally conscious way and there are government schemes that supposedly help that but it's really tough um so just yeah engaging in those conversations feels really important um as we move forward collectively and think about our collective well-being and how that relates to our diet what we eat our land our politics everything
1: Mm. Uh, you're talking about the land feels important in a way for all of us you know we've you know I say this living in a very busy urban city of London do I feel connected to the the land I don't know because I can't see the land you know under my feet um mm. I, I have a small garden it's got astroturf on it you know mm. um and it, it reminds me, you know, when I was a, a child, um, I was uh, a very passionate supporter of a, a charity called Survival International um, that's mm. based in the UK. Um, and they are looking to protect uh, Indigenous people's rights. I mean, they yeah. help them, you know, have voices. And and they've done um, some reporting on the idea that progress can kill. And mm. I'll put a link to that in, in our references. But kind of the idea that forcing development or progress on tribal peoples does not make them happier or healthier. Um, And in fact, the effects can be disastrous. And really what they argue is that the most important factor uh, by far for tribal people's well-being is whether their land rights are respected or not. Um, So Mm. some of the things that have emerged are issues with starvation and addiction or alcoholism suicide and obesity and kind of reduce life expectancy. Whilst um, tribal people's land ownership rights are recognised in international law, you know, they're often not properly respected. So when I talk about the numbers of people, it's 150 million tribal peoples living across 60 countries in the world. So to me, that, that connection with the land and the sense of place and history and narrative just feels so important when we think about our own health and also it just feels that there's so much um wisdom to be learned from indigenous people who've been you know looking after their lands for thousands of years and and really working in that kind of more reciprocal way that we talked about at the beginning of the podcast and so so much that we can learn from them um which makes it even more important to help Um, Protect their rights and their well beings, and gives them the platform uh, to speak about what they do need. Um, And and even when you take a step back and think about, you know, big pharma and uh, you know this huge industry, you know, many many uh, drugs are plant based, Mm. and yet somehow, you know, when they're packaged up into like white little pills, you know, it seems um, very clinical, and you just pop one of these in and you're done um forgetting that actually many um you know are originate from the earth i was looking at the australian government's department of health um in terms of alcohol and orig- aboriginal and torres strait islander peoples and you know they say that statistics show that aboriginal and torres strait islander peoples are less likely to drink alcohol than other a- australians but mm. those that do drink are more likely to drink at dangerous levels and even on the the government's website, they're very open about what these people may be facing, you know, including trauma extending across generations, family separation, insecure housing, negative experiences early in life, racism, difficulty finding work and stress.
0: Mm.
1: And hence, you know, drinking, as we all know, you know, can be one way to almost like turn some of that off. So, and it's not that all Aborigines you know are drinking it, as they said in the statistics, but it feels like that that kind of either displacement or kind of the trauma from the past you know is showing up in people's health now. Mm.
0: yeah, that's fascinating. that trauma and how it comes out and how how it's present, whether we know it and name it or not, and you. Know it can often be underlying and sort of come out in other ways Mm. yeah and and when you talked about um progress and how we measure progress it reminded me of yeah I mean I've done sort of work in international development and always had a bit of an issue I think with the kind of measures of progress that are often used and I was reading in uh Something recently where David Attenborough was praising the New Zealand Prime Minister, um, Jacinda Arden. Arden? I'm not sure how to say it. Arden. Jacinda Arden. Anyway, um, the New Zealand Prime Minister's um decision to drop GDP as its mm. kind of primary measure of economic success. Mm. Uh, and instead, I think the country's kind of created its own index based on its own national concerns. And I think that's fascinating, you know. Let's not just kind of blindly follow GDP as our main um, marker of success um, mm. nationally or individually. You know, how rich are we? How much money do we have? It's not, there are many other ways to think about progress and, you know, success. And I think now, particularly as, you know, going back to farming or in lots of contexts, it isn't just about profit and money that's being made if in making profit we are destroying the very land that gives us that profit then it isn't true profit it's Mm. short-term gain Um, so I think what you touched on how do we look at progress and how is land and our identity linked to that feels really like a conversation we actually just need to be Mm. having openly and in the media for, for our collective understanding and therefore well-being yeah, it's kind
1: of like, yeah, how, how do we measure health as well, kind of in that mm-hmm. context? And Bloomberg um, publishes a Healthiest Country Index each year. And last year in 2019, um, interestingly, it was Spain um, that came up on top, um, mm-hmm. followed by Italy, and then mm-hmm. Iceland, Japan, and Switzerland. So all quite developed countries, I guess.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and the, the factors they use were things like life expectancy, clean water access, Tobacco mm. use and obesity, and yes, Spain's average lifespan um, is expected to reach nearly 86 years old, uh, which will mm. be the highest globally by 2040. One of the reasons they think could be behind this is in eating habits. And I'm sure many of you know about the kind of Mediterranean diet, rich in olive oil and nuts.
0: Mm, um, God,
1: and that, I love it. I know it's delicious, but can reduce the risk of heart disease. Whereas the US has dropped to 35th place, which is five rungs below Cuba. And that may be partly because of declining life expectancy due to overdoses and suicides. And sub-Saharan countries are among uh, the least healthy with Sierra Leone in last place. So again, it's kind of just reminding ourselves that it's not as simple as the individual. You know, that there, there are so many factors that play into you know, our individual health, but our collective health and our, our nation health as well.
0: Yeah, and they're intricately tied. It's hard to just mm. look at the health of the individual and not look at the collective and vice versa. I think mm. I sort of really believe in, you know, the the, the small things, the everyday decisions, they are a ref- reflection of the big picture and the the macro and, you know, how we look after things like ourselves, our decisions, our money and whatever, at a really local individual scale Yeah, it mirrors what's possible nationally i think Mm. um there's quote. i don't know where it's from but the idea that we get the leaders we deserve Mm. and i think that's there's something there that i really like you know what are we how do we live and act and and what do we aspire to locally and individually and how is that then reflected in national leaders and national policies and the health of our country i just i really believe in the, the the small being a kind of way into the the big you know into the national yeah and i think I, I think there is a kind of reawakening to to some of the older ways and the the more ancient wisdom and i think that is really important um and certainly in my own experiences in you know a number of sub-saharan african countries particularly just seeing and experiencing how people you know read the land kind of what they prioritize i remember once um Being in this really rural place in northern Kenya, and um, I knew that the local population was struggling with kind of waterborne disease and um, access to water. And yet, I had seen some wells that had been dug that clearly weren't being used. And I said, Well, they're struggling. Why aren't they using the wells? And the person I was with said, Those wells were funded by an international NGO and that's what they had the money for. Mm -hmm. And the people said, Great, we'd appreciate that, but please don't dig them there because that's where our ancestral burial ground is and that's where the spirits are but the they dug there anyway because you know the geological data or whatever showed that that was where they had to be dug and they're not used mm. the you know the local community would still rather go down to the river and dig deep and be open to diseases um, than to use that well and i just think that was a real lesson in how do we listen and how do we mm. prioritize other people's priorities instead of our own you know it could have there could have been a much cheaper solution like using ceramic filters in the river or something else but we didn't listen not well not we whatever charity it was didn't listen and I you know that's an extreme example I think but it's a real lesson in how we listen to people that know their land better than we do
1: so in a way it's kind of you know as we're kind of coming towards the end like it, it <laughs> we knew it's going to be a complex topic Mm. Um, which is why we didn't structure it, you know, hugely, just kind of wanted to see where it went. But, you know, I think what is coming out is that there is no one, you know, size fits all answer to to health. You know, there are things we can learn about and experience and actively do, but a lot will depend on what works for us individually, what works for us as a community. And, and I guess just kind of going back to that idea of, yeah, like nature being the best physician, at this point you know for the listeners it's like what can we um do to connect with the natural world to help improve our health and also almost like by doing that um and whether that happens first or whether hopefully alongside you know it's how can we give back to the earth as well you know so that Mm -hmm. we're promoting its health and thinking about Mm -hmm. how we how we use um natural resources
0: yeah, and just doing that really locally. I, like, I love thinking of you going across your road into the, yeah. the garden that you've yeah. got and that you've been involved in looking after. But there's probably also lessons in in that kind of micro that, that are helping your thoughts about the macro. And I know that's true for me too when I think of what's on my doorstep and woods and fields here that teach me about the macro. So I guess that makes me think then of some of the take homes that we we, mm. we might want to offer, recognizing that this topic means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Mm. Um, and actually, that's something that comes to mind, you know, perhaps going away and sitting with a bit of paper and just exploring what does health mean to you? Do you think of the individual? Are you struggling with things at the moment that actually you need to sort of find some new ways of finding healing and and feeling well Um, or are you more concerned with the kind of the collective health whether that's your country's politics right now or the health of the land Um, and just sort of seeing what comes up for you and where your energy goes and um, how you might like to think about health from perhaps new perspectives.
1: I like that idea and it kind of takes me back to that idea of the Natural Academy's approach to To well-being and holistic health, Um, and they talked about psychological, emotional, physical, social, ecological, and spiritual health. Mm. I can almost imagine, again, kind of alongside that activity, it's kind of like just looking at you know where are you feeling you know satisfied in terms of those different kind of areas of health. You know, where, where is where is it's lacking? You know, where do you want to celebrate, and where might you want to? to think of ways to work on it
0: yeah and knowing that what's the priority f- for one person with health mm. might be quite different for someone else yeah. and even just having those conversations i think can be really enlightening also i mean we've touched on other things like forest bathing perhaps you know if, if 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 the woods call to you or you know your local park just going again and walking around and inhaling and seeing how things smell different and then i guess getting curious and discovering what it is that you're breathing in that is giving you those kind of happy hormones (laughs) and there are also you know a few books and things that we've referenced which we'll put in the show notes yeah
1: yeah I I think that two hour a week study they still have things they want to look into you know to confirm it all but it it feels important to kind of you know try and carve out those two hours a week whether all in one go or in different um, segments Mm. uh, just to get outside and um reconnect you know just noticing the small things like the color of different birds feathers or you know whatever it is just kind of stopping and noticing and yeah so just kind of putting your attention on your surroundings um and actually Rachel and Stephen Kaplan um who began studying the importance of nature um on well-being and health in the 1970s um they devised something called the attention restoration theory Which holds that paying attention in bustling cities, at work, or in other stressful environments requires a good deal of effortful attention. Whereas in a natural environment, they found that people paid attention more broadly and in a less effortful way, leading to a far more relaxed body and mind. Yeah, even within, even if you are in a city like me or, you know, town, it's just kind of finding that little natural environment space um, just to kind of allow your attention to kind of yeah come out and there for your body to relax
0: Mm. yeah and not kind of gripping it so tightly but almost just seeing what flows through you and washes over you almost as you Mm. pay attention on some things seeing then what else pops up on your peripheral vision um, and the peripheral vision of your life
1: yeah and I guess just one other thing that's in my mind is you know obviously those the two activities we have mentioned so far so reflecting on what health means to you and you know, where you're at with it and what you might want to do with it and then going outside more and going on walks. Obviously, those are individual um, activities. And I guess there's something about you know, knowing that in many, many parts of the world and for many people, this is a more stressful time at the moment. It's kind of thinking about how to build networks um, and connections with family, with friends, with people that know you well, potentially virtually as well you know, to, yeah, almost help support one another um, and improve mm. one's health in so doing. I guess going back to that earlier episode we did on connections and networks.
0: Yeah, and, and knowing that nature itself works through a sort of diverse network um, and that creates resilience, you know, how mm. what does your own network look like? How, how are you getting support at the moment? How are you offering support? Yeah, um, there's a poem that's been in my mind, which isn't directly related to health, but I'd like to read it anyway, if that's okay. nice. It's by a farmer, poet, author called Wendell Berry, and it's called The Peace of Wild Things. And it goes like this. When despair for the world grows in me, and I wake in the night at the least sound, in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be, I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water, and the great heron feeds I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water and I feel above me the day-blind stars waiting with their light. For a time, I rest in the grace of the world and I'm free. Yeah, I love that. Great. So. And I've got through that. (laughs) in of unfurling, exploratory way.
1: Yeah, I think that was definitely a good example of unfurling. Yeah. Um, But I hope it's been, I hope it's prompted some ideas and reflections Mm. in our listeners. So thank you for listening. Um, Mm. If you are in our Facebook group, Unfurling Podcast, or would like to join, please do. Um, We really do enjoy hearing what these episodes bring up, you know, what questions they prompt, what ideas and reflections they bring up for you. Um, Mm. So please do share. And uh,
0: mm. yeah, I think that's us for now. Mm, yeah, I think so. Thanks, Kat. It's Great. been good as ever.
1: Thank you. So, wishing you good health, Elizabeth.
0: Yes, you yeah. too. I hope you um, hope you get get over your cold, which I know has been lingering for a while. So, thank you. Yes, yeah, rest well. I will. And, yeah, thank you, listener. Thank you for being with us on this unfurling journey as we explore the power of the natural world to inform and inspire. See you next time. See you next time.